0: Find uh, Matthew chapter uh, 7 in your Bibles, Matthew 7, and uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 7 down through verse 11. We're in our 22nd message now on the Sermon on the Mount, looking this morning at the topic, confidence in prayer. Stand for the reading of God's Word, please. Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture and the encouragement and the blessing that we find therein. Lord, I pray that as we talk about prayer, it would be so much more than talk that it would find application in our lives. Lord, that our lives would be built upon your word and that your word would change our activity. May it be in this case with prayer. God, help us to be a praying people, a praying church. Lord, we thank you for the invitation that we have because of Jesus Christ to enter into the Holy of Holies, to go behind the veil, as the book of Hebrews says, and to go into your presence. What an awesome privilege. And Lord, help us to understand Jesus' words in this passage about that privilege. Lord, I do pray that it'd be a tremendous encouragement to somebody here this morning who might be going through some trial or tribulation in their lives. Speak to them. And we'll give you the praise and the honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1922, the British archaeologist by the name of Dr. Howard Carter peered wide-eyed into an ancient... Egyptian tomb. At first he saw nothing. For more than 20 centuries, archaeologists, tourists, and tomb robbers had searched for the burial places of Egypt's pharaohs. It was believed that nothing remained undisturbed, especially in the royal valley where the ancient monarchs had been buried for over half a millennium. With only a few scraps of evidence, Carter carried on his pursuit, privately financed, because no one felt again that there was anything left to discover. But Dr. Carter was convinced there was still at least one remaining tomb. Twice during his six-year search, he came within two yards of the first stone step leading down to the burial chamber. And then finally, he found it. Can you see anything? His assistants asked him. He had difficulty answering at first because he saw what no modern man had ever seen. Wooden animals, statues, chest, chariots, carved cobras, vases, daggers, jewels, and a throne, and a hand-carved coffin of a teenage king. It was the priceless tomb and treasure of King Tut, the world's most exciting archaeological discovery. Howard Carter's persistence brought him to King Tut's treasure. Persistence. Folks, in the passage we look at today, Jesus certainly has a great deal to say to us about persistence in our Christian lives and in particular, persistence when it comes to prayer. Here Jesus says, ask and keep on asking, and seek and keep on seeking, and knock and keep on knocking. Now, as scholars point out, we dare not isolate this particular passage from the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. If we were to do so, we would be making a tragic mistake. You see, some have treated this text as though it is teaching that God is a great cosmic slot machine. And if you only put in your coin and pull the handle enough times, you will get whatever it is that you want. However, the broader context of the sermon sets down the righteousness that God is looking for. The righteousness that goes far beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. The Sermon on the Mount speaks of things like humility and sincerity and purity and love. These virtues are beyond man's ability uh, to carry out if that man tries to carry them out in his own strength. And so you read everything that's been asked of us in the Sermon on the Mount and you look at all of these demands that God is seemingly to put upon us and the question you and I ask ourselves is who is adequate? Who can do these things? How in the world are we to judge properly without being hypocrites? How are we to be able to help our brother remove the speck from his eye? How can we love our enemies as ourselves? How can we bless those and love those who persecute us and despitefully use us? How are we able to do all of these things that Jesus has already commanded in the Sermon on the Mount? Ask, seek, and knock. That's how. Trust that God as a gracious heavenly father will supply whatever you need in order to live the Christian life and bring the greatest amount of honor and glory to him. Folks, that's what this prayer is all about. This is not the first time in the Sermon on the Mount we have heard Jesus speak about prayer. You'll remember in that sixth chapter of Matthew, Jesus gave a couple of principles there about prayer. He said we're not to be like the scribes and the Pharisees who would plan their journeys into town at the hours of prayer and so precisely at the moment they got into town and got at a busy intersection, it would be that time to pray and they would stop there on a busy street corner and they would pray because they wanted to be seen by men as being righteous. Jesus said they will have no reward from God. They wanted a pat on the back from men. that got that and that's all they'll get so he said what you and I need to do is go into our closets or go into a private place and shut the door and there in that private place we get on our knees or our faces before God and we have a time of private communion with him and that is the prayer that he honors Jesus likewise said we're not to be like The pagans who cry out to their false idols and their false gods and they chant all of these chants and all of these incantations and they have all of these formulas and they believe if somehow or another they get all the words in the right order and dial up just the right combination in their prayer, their deity will hear them. Jesus said, no, 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 no. That is not at all how the God of the Bible is. And so we've already had instruction on prayer. And here again, Jesus gives us the third instruction to add to that. And then this third instruction, what is it that we learn? We learn that in our prayer time, we are to be persistent and confident. And I want us to look at both of those this morning. First of all, we are to pray with persistence. Look with me again at verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For whoever or everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now first let me say that much has been written about the distinctions between the three words ask and seek and knock. Some believe that perhaps we're to make no distinctions between those words, that Jesus was using a common educational uh, tactic here or a principle here where you would either double up or either triple up words, words that have the same effect, but you would double or triple those words so that it would have a greater emphasis. And so some would say don't make any distinctions between these words. Others say perhaps there is a fine nuance between those words. And I think they may be right because when you think about it first of all when Jesus says ask and keep on asking what is that that is laying all of your concerns before God as First Peter 5 8 says cast all your care upon him for he cares for you and so in asking you're simply putting your petition before God. But now in seeking and knocking, as people point out, what is involved in that or what is implied in that is there is also a bit of activity on our part in certain of our petitions. Now let me explain what they mean by that. By our involvement. Let's say you are without a job. You've lost your job. And you're in desperate need of a job so that you might support your family and you're no doubt asking God to supply you with a job. You're petitioning God that He would open some kind of door and grant you such an opportunity. Now at the same time that you're asking, what else do you need to do? You need to fill out your resume and get it into places, right? There needs to be a little bit of involvement also. We don't just sit back and ask for God to drop a money bag down our chimney and think that God somehow or another going to do that. God commands us to work and so while we're asking Him to give us a job, we're also out there in the marketplace and we're seeking and we're knocking. And then let's use another example. Let's say that you're dealing with some kind of illness. What do you do? What are you to do with some kind of illness? Well, if I'm ill and I'm asking God for healing at the same time, I need to seek medical help. This seems to be exactly what James is speaking of in James 5 when he instructs us to call for the elders of the church and let them pray over us. James says, let them pray and then let them anoint you with oil. The word he uses for anoint with oil is where they would rub the oil in for medicinal purposes as they did in ancient times. It's not the word for anoint that carries with it some type of symbolic religious action. And so James seems to be telling the church get your spiritual leaders praying for you if you are ill And also, go see your doctor. But the point is, there is asking and there is seeking and knocking. There is asking God and there is also involvement in your own prayer where that is is possible or where that is called for. That's the distinction some make in these words Jesus uses here when he says, ask and seek and knock. And folks, each of these phrases communicates persistence. They are present imperatives. An imperative is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a simple indicative statement it is a command and by being a present imperative it is to be continuous you see in the greek language there are uh, there are a couple of kind of imperatives there is the aorist imperative which simply gives a definite command and then you have the present imperative which commands continuous action And therefore a very accurate translation of verse 7 would be ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, and knock and keep on knocking. Jesus is communicating here that you and I are to be persistent. We are to persevere in our prayers. It's interesting that in Luke's version of this very same passage, he precedes these words with a parable. It is a parable about a man who has a friend. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles right now. If you would turn over to Luke chapter 11 because I want you to read this passage with me. Luke chapter 11 beginning there in verse 5 I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. What is Jesus there commending? He is commending perseverance, persistence. Now we might ask, why does God want us being persistent? Perhaps it is to prove our seriousness in the matter or perhaps God plans to build character in us while we wait. We might be praying about something that God is going to do. He's going to do a little later on. But in the meantime, God is wanting to build some character traits in us so that we will be ready for the answer to prayer when He grants that answer. But Jesus gives yet another reason why we need to persist and why God wants us to persist. In yet another parable in Luke's gospel, Jesus explains that persistence communicates faith. He tells a parable in Luke chapter 18 about a poor destitute widow who goes before an unjust judge... She doesn't have any means to bribe the judge as they did in that day. And because she doesn't have the means and she's not important enough and doesn't have a high enough position to bribe the judge to get her case heard, uh, the, in that parable Jesus says that judge, that unjust judge, just decides to keep putting her off over and over and over again and she keeps on and on and on going before that unjust judge. And finally he says... Lest this lady blacken my eye, I'm going to hear her case. Now he's not concerned about a little widow putting on boxing gloves and literally giving him a black eye. That was a phrase that was used for damaging somebody's reputation, making them look bad. I'm going to hear her case because if I don't, she's going to blacken my eyes. She's going to make me look bad. Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge said and will not our God who is the just judge grant the petitions of his children. But then Jesus does something unique in that parable that he doesn't do in all parables. He does it in some, not all. In, in the hermeneutics of parables it's called the end stress rule. And that simply means that the punchline comes at the end. And at the end of that parable on that persistent widow, Jesus says the punchline is this. He says, and hear this, when the Son of Man comes back to the earth, will he find faith? What's his point? It takes faith to persistently go before God in prayer. If you don't have faith, you'll give up and you'll turn to other means. We're to ask and keep on asking and seek and keep on seeking and knock and keep on knocking. Now such persistence raises another concern or another question that needs to be put to bed. Some have said by asking over and over again, am I not showing lack of faith? Because if I put a petition or a concern before God one time, don't I need to just put it there one time, lay it at His feet and walk away? If I keep coming back to that and asking over and over and over again, is that not going to somehow or another reveal that I'm not really trusting that God is going to get involved and answer that prayer? Well, let me say that that answer might sound spiritual on the surface, but it's actually unbiblical. A couple of examples. I think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember what the gospels say about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Here is Jesus himself, the very Son of God. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he doesn't just go one time. He goes three times and three times. He says, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he would go back to his disciples and he would find them sleeping. And the Bible says he would return into the midst of the garden and he would offer that prayer again. And then there was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul experienced a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. I have a hunch, and my hunch may be 100% wrong. I think Paul suffered from the effects of malaria, which can end up affecting your eyesight as well as other things. You see, in his first missionary journey, Paul traveled to Pamphylia. And Pamphylia was an area of the world at that time that was known for its cases of malaria. In ancient times they didn't have the means of treating it that we do today and so it would cycle back around on you. You'd be okay and then you'd not be okay and then you'd be okay and then you'd not be okay. And Paul describes that whole experience in 2 Corinthians 12, how he continually went before God again three times, asking God that God might take that thorn in the flesh away from him. And God finally said, no, I'm going to leave it. But Paul, you need to learn something through me leaving it. You're going to learn that my grace is sufficient for you. So here's Jesus himself. And the Apostle Paul, who persisted in a single petition and repeatedly went before the Heavenly Father with that. So if repetitive prayer is wrong, then Jesus and Paul were wrong. And my friend, if you think the Lord Jesus was ever wrong, you've got some serious problems with your Christology. You know, it's easy to persist in prayer when we have a sick child or if we're going through some terrible trial. But do we persist for our spiritual growth? Again, think of the context of this passage. Because scholars point out we've got to keep the context in mind. It's almost as though you need to read back through everything that has gone before in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 and in chapter 6. All those Beatitudes in chapter 5 and we could keep going that we're to be salt and light and we're to love our enemies and we're to go the second mile. All those things that we learned about in chapter 5 and 6, the context of this passage are we persistent in asking God to bring those spiritual qualities to fruition in our lives? Obviously, we pray for those emergency physical needs. But do we persist in prayer for our spiritual growth? Do we ask and seek and knock that God would give us a pure mind? Do we ask and seek and knock that God would give us a forgiving spirit or that God would help us to overcome a negative, critical spirit? Folks, consider what would happen in God's church all over the world if the body of Christ were to persist in prayer about those kinds of things. We are to persist in our praying for anything that will end up making us more like Jesus. Persistence in prayer. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see that we are to pray with confidence. Look at verse 9 and following. He said, Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus' instruction here is that we aren't just to pray with persistence, but we are also to pray with confidence. As Martin Luther said, he knows, God knows that we are timid and shy, that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. We think that God is so great and we're so tiny that we do not dare to pray. That is why Christ wants to lure us away from such timid thoughts to remove our doubts and to have us go ahead confidently and boldly. And as John Calvin once wrote, he said, For nothing is better adapted to excite us to prayer than a full conviction that we shall be heard. What are we to be confident of? First of all, when we pray, we're to be confident as to the nature of God, the nature of God. Let me ask you this morning what you believe about the nature of God. We could talk all day about the incommunicable attributes of God. The incommunicable attributes of God would be those things that belong to God and God alone. Things like His omnipotence, He's all-powerful. His omnipresence, He's everywhere. His omniscience, He knows everything, the incommunicable attributes of God. We could also talk about the communicable attributes of God. Those would be things like His holiness and His love and His mercy. These are attributes that you and I are likewise to emulate. In the book of Leviticus, God says, Be ye therefore holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's a communicable attribute. But while we're talking about God's communicable attributes, let's also be sure to talk about God's goodness. Folks, aren't you glad that God is good? God is good. He makes His sun to shine on the just and the unjust alike. Even bad people, even lost people experience God's common grace. They got up this morning to the same rain and the same sunshine that you did. That's what Jesus is pointing out here that we can have confidence in as we pray. God is a good God who gives good. All He can do is give good. Even if you don't see it as good at the moment, it's good. Jesus uses the illustration of earthly fathers. In verse 11, Jesus says that you and I are evil. Now, what does he mean by that? We've all been subjected to the fall that occurred in Genesis chapter 3. Paul says in Romans 3 that there are none who are are righteous, not even one. Folks, whether you want to admit it or not, the Bible says that you are a sinner. The big question is, have you been forgiven of your sin? The scripture says that Christ bore your sin on the tree. He died in your place, the just for the unjust. The only one who has never sinned, the Lord Jesus himself, took your sin and he took my sin that you and I might be forgiven. Romans 8 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who were in Christ Jesus. Even Christians sin. Now a Christian should be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and should be more and more gaining victory over sin in his or her life. If you love sin and continue to walk in darkness, John says in 1 John that that is a surefire indication that you've not even been born again in the first place. But the point is... There is a sense in which we are all evil. Now, people are offended by that today, but Jesus' point is up against the pure perfection and holiness of God. Not when you compare yourself with other people. You see, other people aren't the standard. But when your life is put up alongside the life of Jesus Christ... Surely you and I, like Isaiah the prophet, have to say, woe is me. Bible's not saying that all men sin equally, but we have all equally been in the state of sin. And all men likewise are not as bad as they potentially could be, but again, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. All of that is the beautiful thing about redemption in Jesus Christ because through Jesus Christ you can have peace with God and you can be reconciled to a holy God. That would have been a good place for an amen. But even men who have either been in the state of sin or you still are in the state of sin, either way, have you noticed something about men and women? Have you noticed something about men and women? Even lost men and women. Have you noticed something about them that Jesus points out here in our text? I know there's exceptions to the rule. But even lost men and women know how to give good gifts to their children. Right? Right? And Christians... All to be trying to give good gifts to their children. And that good gift, first of all, helping them to be more like Jesus. Good We all want the best for our children. We want to do good. We want to see good for our children. We want to protect them. We want to help them. 11 o'clock last night. Text comes in. Brian's been in a wreck. Looks like his car's totaled y'all need to come all the way down to Midland curvy country road deer jumped out in front of him he swerves hits a guardrail goes off in the shoulder hits a guardrail, looks like his car might be towed. We get down there. Of course, you're driving down there the whole time and you're not sure of the outcome. You're not worried about the car. You're worried about your child and your stomach and all is kind of in knots and you get down there and you're relieved. Everything's okay. But there's car in time. You deal with the police and paramedics and you wait forever on a wrecker and, and the wrecker takes the car and takes it all the way up to David Fink's in Kannapolis and, and you deal with all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's an all-night thing. That's why I might go to sleep on you. <laughs> but Jesus' point is that even lost people would do something like that. Even lost people, even parents who were lost would get in the car and run and check on their child or whatever your child's need is they would go and try to try, try to try to do right by their kids you want good for your kids jesus says here's a son in the story here he says here, here's a here's a son who asked his father for bread in the word for bread those little flat pita cakes and there were little flat stones that would almost look like that bread is that dad gonna pay, play a mean trick on his kid is he going to hand him one of those one of those uh, stones and the son chomps into it and breaks his teeth. No, of course not. No dad's going to do that. He asks his dad for a fish. Is he going to give him a snake, an eel-like Animal at that time that would look like some of their fish there in the Sea of Galilee. Is, is a dad going to do something like that? No. In both cases, here's a child asking his dad for one thing that will be helpful and beneficial. And the dad turns around and gives his son something that would either be useless or maybe even harmful. Do earthly dads do that? Absolutely not. Dads, though we are part of the fall, And we are sinful. We don't even do that. Jesus said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? This is an example of the a fortiori argument that we see Jesus using over and over again in the Gospels. It's the argument of how much more. If you, the lesser, would do something like that, then how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Again, aren't you glad we have a God with that kind of nature? Jesus is telling us that we can have confidence in the nature of God. He is our heavenly Father... Who is not affected whatsoever with any kind of personal sin or flaws in his character. But not only can we have confidence in the nature of God as we pray, but as we pray, we can also have confidence in the perfections of God. God is perfect. Now think about the implication of that. When earthly fathers give good gifts to their children, you're giving a good gift to your child. And at the time, you are convinced it is a good gift. But folks, there's a problem. You and I are are not omniscient. We're not infinite. What, What we think today is good in the long run in that child's life may not be good. But God is not that way. When God gives good gifts, it will be good today, it will be good tomorrow, next month, next year, next decade, and all the way into eternity. Because all the Father can do is give good gifts because He is a perfect God. Again, I like the I like the light that Luke sheds furthermore on this text. When he talks about God giving good gifts, Luke gives us a particular example. And there couldn't be a greater example. When God gives good gifts, what does Luke say that the gift is? Anybody? What is the gift? That God gives? The Holy Spirit. Folks, every believer, think about this a minute. And stay with me a moment. Every believer at the moment of their conversion, you are baptized and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 1.13. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, because you're baptized and sealed with the Holy Spirit at your conversion does not mean that you are always filled with the Spirit. And that's why in Ephesians 5, he'll go on to challenge Christians who are already baptized and sealed with the Spirit to be ye being filled with the Spirit. We're not always filled with the Spirit. In fact, sometimes we grieve the Spirit. But in giving the Holy Spirit to us, as an example of the good gifts, let's connect the Holy Spirit to prayer. That as is, we're asking, Luke says, He gives good things, He gives the Holy Spirit. Remember what Paul said about the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8? He linked the Holy Spirit with our prayer time because in our prayer time, even in our prayer time, we are weak. We don't always know what to ask for. And Paul said it's at times like that that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and helps us in our petitions because the Holy Spirit perfectly knows the mind and heart and will of God because He's God's Spirit and He perfectly knows our need. And so He's able to link my need up with God's will, bring the two together in a perfect way so that the petition is answered the way it best needs to be answered. Now, folks, that's a good gift that our Heavenly Father gives to us. And again, Jesus is saying this is the confidence we have in prayer. Confidence in the nature of God that He's a good God and nature in the perfections of God that He never makes mistakes. He gives good gifts. The Holy Spirit's an example of that. In closing, I like what Dr. Kent Hughes says. He says, someone once said, any discussion of the doctrine of prayer that does not issue in the practice of prayer is not only not helpful, but harmful. In practicing prayer, as Kent suggests, there are a number of things that we need to do. And folks, these things he suggests, I want these things to be our invitation today, okay? You have them on your sermon notes page. Search out, number one, search out some spiritual qualities that you lack but would like to have. List them on your list. You say, what do I need? Spiritual qualities, Pastor, what are you talking about? Again, read back. Through the Sermon on the Mount. And some of those things you read in chapter 5 and 6, some of those spiritual qualities, those are things that ought to show up on your prayer list that you ask and keep on asking about, seek and keep on seeking, and knock and keep on knocking. What would your list look like? Do you need a more steadfast faith? How about a more Christ-like love? Is there some temptation you struggle with? Do you need God's wisdom as you go through a trial? Is there a lost loved one that needs Christ? Do you need to be a bold witness? Is God calling you to the mission field? Is there somebody that you need to be reconciled with? Those are things that ought to show up on this list that you're asking and seeking and knocking about. Now, folks, don't you believe those are the kinds of things that our Heavenly Father delights to give to His children? Fill out your list this week. I dare you. And begin praying about it and praying about it and praying about it and praying about it. it. Prayer with persistence and prayer with confidence. Keep praying, keep being persistent until God either changes you or your situation. Do you ever realize, folks, that it may not be the other person that God changes? God may want to change you. It may not be your circumstance that God wants to change. God may want to change you. Have confidence that God your Father will give them to you. He is a good God. He is kind. He is benevolent. He is full of grace. He is so much better to you than you are to your own children. If we could have a contest right now and elect... The parent of the year. If somehow or another we could discover who the very best parent in the room is and we stood you up and gave you a prize and and a great deal of pomp and circumstance about you, guess what? You would still pale in comparison to your heavenly Father. He's a good God. God delights to give you what you need to live the Christian life and bring glory to Him. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Every head bow, every every eye closed. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name because it is through Jesus that we have redemption and access into your presence. Through Jesus, we can go behind the veil and into the Holy of Holies. God, help us to desire what you desire. Help us to seek what you want us to seek. Lord, you know what each and every person here needs in order to live a Christ-like life and to make a difference for you. Supply them with what they need. Give them a determination and a persistence to be like Jacob in the book of Genesis who would not let go of you until you had blessed him.